Hello. Hello, hello. Hey, good good afternoon. Hey, same to you. <laughs> good afternoon. Uh, let me, uh, why don't you just tell me how to pronounce your name? Yeah, no problem. It's Jean-Pierre Genioli. Wow, that, I mean, I mean, I'm, it sounds almost French. Yeah, the first part's French. My last name's Italian. <laughs> that That's a nice mix. Definitely. <laughs> so I'm just going to introduce, um, our, you know, to our guest, uh, uh, Jean-Pierre. Um, this is Jean-Pierre Genioli. Um, yeah. He's the founder, lead detective, parapsychologist at Southern California Paranormal Detectives. You're an actor. Uh, you worked at Disney, studied metaphys metaphysics at Progressive Universal Life Church, studied radio, TV. You got a lot of things going on yeah. between comedy and acting. It, it, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of ambition, uh, a, lot of, a lot of ways to express myself. So, <laughs> No, it's nice. It's nice to have different things, you know, um, if you put all the pressure on, on being funny, that's hard. So it's nice that you do a lot of serious things too. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that you, uh, you lost your mom to COVID. Yeah. Thank you. Was that early in the epidemic when you lost her? No, it was the beginning of this year. It was during the second wave. And then my grandmother passed about four months later. So it was one after the other. It was pretty rough. Wow, that is uh, that is heavy. And I, I was actually um, watching one of your interviews where you talked about um, um, the the paranormal, the par paranormal in your grandmother's house. Yes, <laughs> that that was interesting because I thought maybe you know they were saying, "Oh, it's not true," and you kept quiet, and and, and they sat you down one day and they said, "Oh, you know, we we've all had similar experiences to you." Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the backstory. Is uh, I was probably like two or three, and I saw my grandfather's ghost at my grandmother's house when I stayed over one weekend. And uh, you know, my grandma's like, "Oh, it's just a bad dream, whatever." And I want to say when I was about ten years old, they sat me down and said, "Look, you were really little. We didn't want to scare you, but uh, we've experienced that stuff too." My grandmother came from Italy. She she experienced stuff out there and out here when she came to America. Uh, my mom experienced tons of stuff growing up too. So my whole family is kind of sensitive to that, but I think they just didn't want to scare me because I was so little. Uh, but you know, it was, it was nice to not feel like I was crazy anymore once they told me. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, actually it gave you the fuel, the ambition to want to pursue this as a career. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, uh, what, what else? Um, okay. Um, you also, you started off, uh, doing imitations in junior high school. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where it started. You know, luckily, um, my my family let me stay up late and watch like Saturday Night Live on the weekends or Johnny Carson on the weeknights. Um, and that's kind of where I, I think I, I picked it up from, you know, was uh, watching these comedians growing up. I thought they were really funny. And then I would always imitate things when I was really young. Um, I think the first ones my parents told me about were like Groucho Marx. I used to walk around and pretend I had a cigar in my mouth and I do like his mannerisms and stuff. 
And then I used to listen to Michael Jackson and I knew all his dance moves and I would, you know, perform for like, you know, family and friends and stuff. So that's kind of where the imitating kind of started. And then it grew from there because I really loved expressing myself in that way. And I would pick up voices from other comedians and be like, oh, now I could do, you know, this president or this character or this cartoon. So, yeah, no, it's um, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, this guy named uh, R- Rich Little was very popular. Yeah, I know Rich Little. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. He, is he still alive? Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't want to I want to say yes or no and be wrong about it. <laughs> yeah, it was popular in the 70s, but it looks like you start you started doing this like a, around uh, 98 because you were imitating Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely around that time that I really started uh, you know, doing it a lot and, and gaining more voices and traction in it. Do it for friends at school. I remember one time I was doing Bill Clinton uh, in high school, and one of my friends was like, "Dude, that'd be great. We should find like Monica Lewinsky's phone number and have you call her up and say something." I'm like, I highly doubt it'd be that easy to contact her, but it would be funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would uh, that would be yeah. And then you got into the chorus too. You started singing in, in junior high school too. Yeah, that was like my first taste of actually performing because uh, I was extremely introverted and shy. Uh, some of my backstory is I was extremely bullied where I was raised, you know, not, there wasn't a lot of cultured people, unfortunately. And, you know, being, having a name like mine and the way, you know, our parents dressed us just like I was a target. So I was very introverted um, at a young age because I didn't really, you know, get along with people and and make a lot of friends. So um, to extrovert me a little bit, they suggested, Oh, you should join like choir and, you know, do that. So I did. Um, and honestly, the only place until more re- in recent years I felt comfortable was on the stage. I don't know why I get on a stage and I just feel like I'm home. I feel comfortable. But once I step off and if people give me compliments or try to make a big deal out of me, that's when I kind of get shy a little bit still. Just because, like, I don't know, I'm not – I don't think I'm special or different. I just have a lot of passion for the things I do. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to be pretty good at it. I get good responses from my performances and things like that. So, Hey, as long as you're enjoying it, and oh, and you're also a, I learned this term, mobile DJ. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. Nice. Yeah, I do a lot of weddings, uh, but I've done, you know, other birthday parties and stuff. I just got known for weddings because, you know, uh, me and my wife pretty much did our own wedding. Uh, I kind of emceed it a little bit. One of my best men took over when I couldn't, but... Uh, but yeah, like I had a, my best friend's sister, actually, and this is how it came about. I actually worked at my college radio station when I was in college at uh, Cerritos College um, and uh, worked there. I was the operations manager. I hosted my own show and all that stuff uh, for a few years. Uh, and then later on, my best friend's sister was looking for a DJ and host, and she could only find DJs who just played music. And because of my hosting background, she was like, you should ask John Pierre if he'll, you know, DJ and host our wedding. And I was like, yeah, I never thought about it before. I don't know why. I think my mind just is always so creative and so filled with stuff. Sometimes I miss things that could potentially be good for me. Um, so I, I DJed my, uh, you know, best friend's sister's wedding. Uh, everybody loved it and thought I did a great job. And I was like, you know what? I think this is something I should invest in. So started saving up money and, you know, bought the equipment and uh, got pretty well known uh, for, for DJing weddings. I'm, I'm great at just working with people and communicating with couples. I try to make it easy for them. Uh, luckily, my knowledge with music and technology is there. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a weight off their shoulders when I can handle most of the stuff. And then uh, having an improv background really helps because I'm great on the spot. So I take requests. If people won't request, I don't have to stick to, you know, the playlist necessarily. And people like that. Because I remember one of the like third weddings I did. 
uh, the bride told me like she only wanted country music and that was it. And I was like, are you sure you don't want any variety, any difference? And like the, uh, you know, the groom didn't help out with the music at all. So she handled all of that. And then, you know, I'm playing the music that she wanted. And like, you know, the, I mean, the party, I was kind of vibing off it, I guess, but not really. Uh, but I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm there for the wedding. I got to do what, you know, they, they tell me that's, that's the part of the job. And then the groom comes up and like, Hey man, you know, like you're just playing country. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the list I have here. He's like, can you play some other stuff? I was like, of course I can play whatever you want. He's like, all right, play this. And then, you know, once they gave me the freedom to kind of get away from that playlist and play more dance music and get the party uplifted, like the place went nuts. They were having a blast. The groom, like became my biggest fans. Like, dude, you're just like killing it. You play like all the hits. Everybody's loving it. Like you turn the party around. And I was like, okay, you know, I guess I have a skill for this. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 in one of your interviews, you, you kind of specified that if you had a choice, if you had to narrow it down, it seems like music is your favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard because I love so much of everything I do, honestly. Like, uh, and I don't know if you've heard some of the other stuff, me talking about my abuse in the past that really, it shaped who I was, unfortunately, and only in, in like the last three years that I really quit my day job and pursue entertainment only. I'm only doing acting and music and, you know, all my passions, and I don't have a regular day job outside of that now. Um, and that took a long time to get to this point. So, you know, expressing myself that way and putting myself out there and, and doing all this stuff. Yeah, but music, I don't know why it has a special place in my heart, but it does. And I think it's because... I think at the end of the day, I'm a storyteller and being able to tell a story through music, through lyrics, um, I'm just able to do it very clearly, concisely, and in a way that, that captures attention. And I've never had a problem with that. So I think that's why music, if you were to force me to pick something, I'd probably pick music because I feel most fulfilled when I finish a song or finish an album. I really feel you know, accomplished when I do that. Not to say I don't with any other things I do. If I need to laugh out of a joke, of course, I love that, too. If I, you know, get a great performance on film or something, of course, it's amazing, too. But, yeah, music, if I had to choose one, I think I'd go with music just because there's there's just something about it like feeds my soul to, to make music. <laughs> well, yeah, it motivates you. Some people uh, can't even walk without the music. It just gets the soul moving, you know. It definitely really does. And um, what else? I've seen some of your acting reels, uh, uh, cheat. Did you remember that one? Uh, you, you were working very hard oh, yeah. to make a, get a mortgage for her, and she said it's not enough for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the gold digger one. Yeah, I've done a few. I'm working with this uh, YouTube channel. Uh, his name's uh, Samir Bhavani, um, and uh, he's a Middle Eastern gentleman that uh, casted me in one of his videos and really loved my acting. So now he puts me in a ton of videos, and that's helped me really build up my acting reel. I've got some great content and meaty um, monologues and lines from uh, from working with him. So it's it's been great, you know. It's it's nice to make a little money and then also, you know, produce quality content, so. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, oh, by the way, um, since you have a PhD, uh, do you go by the name Dr. Giannoli? I mean, I don't make anybody call me that, uh, you know. The way I look at life is I do things uh, because I choose to do them and I love them. So I don't force people to to call me by titles or anything. I mean, some people like to, to call me because, you know, I obviously earned that degree, but I don't force anybody to. I just kind of try to live my life, I guess, with humility and just be a, try to be a normal guy uh, doing a bunch of non-normal things. <laughs> you know, it's definitely uh, it's definitely very interesting. I, son, I see you've done a lot of investigations like the, the Manson, the Manson murders. 
Yeah, that was a big one. We actually were on uh, H2, the History Channel, uh, and we investigated uh, the Spawn Ranch where Charles Manson once stayed, and that was uh, an incredible uh, case to investigate. We got some evidence that they actually put on the show. They interviewed me and some of my team members, so uh, that definitely was a, a big achievement, uh, you know, while doing so much work in this field for so many years to get some recognition and, and have people, you know, actually looking for you to come and investigate and talk about your experiences, so... Yeah, we've definitely done a ton of uh, famous cases out here in California and Southern California and then some more, you know, private residences and businesses and things like that. So kind of all over the spectrum of of hauntings and things like of that nature. Yeah, a lot of people dis they discount it, but apparently there is, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of work done in this field. Yeah, there definitely is. I think the un unfortunate and it's kind of a double edged sword uh, of the media uh, in, in America in particular, you know, it has to be entertaining. So a lot of these shows, unfortunately, uh, you know, they do stuff to get ratings. They, they're looking for crazy personalities and crazy situations. And I've been in about five major deals for reality shows. And I think the first one is what just soured me on the whole idea because, you know, they're like, hey, reality TV is not reality. We're going to tell you what to do, how to do it. We might script some stuff, da 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 and it's like, to me, as an actual actor, I think it was very insulting to me because I was like, okay, so you're going to tell me to use my acting ability in a reality show, but you're not going to pay me as an actor. You're going you're gonna to say, oh, if the show does well, eventually we'll pay you more. But we're, you know, this is for exposure to kind of like, you know, um, get you out there. Um, and then again, faking stuff. Like, this is something I'm very passionate about and I care very much about the subject. So I wouldn't want to sell it down the river for like 15 minutes of fame and to, to do that kind of stuff. So... So, yeah, being being part of the entertainment industry and the paranormal investigator, it helps and hurts at times, depending on what you're dealing with. A lot of the time, obviously, people find it interesting, even for me when I when I get casted for things or, you know, auditions, when they ask to tell me a little about myself. There's not many people who walk into an audition and say, like, hey, I'm a real life Ghostbuster, you know, and this is what I do. And they're like, oh, well, that's interesting. So that it definitely helps me in that sense. <laughs> One of your actually, um, one of the people, the podcast you're on, he he called you that uh, modern day ghost. I forgot which one, but he, yeah. he called you that. Yeah, I'm sure you've been calling called that. And then you, um, did you really have a, a UFO encounter? Uh, yeah, I've had. Uh, the the reason why I'm so interested in the paranormal is because I've had a lifetime full of. And when I was younger, it happened more intensely than it does now. But I still have experiences and and see and experience weird things. But uh, at a very young age is when I had crazy encounters. Uh, the, the extraterrestrial stuff is something I didn't talk about until I met my wife because I just I thought people would think I was too crazy. But finally, when I opened up to my wife, I like this is what I experienced. Like, you know, it was easier for me to start telling people like, yeah, I've had, you know, crazy things happen that, you know, even I felt like maybe I'm crazy. And then I'm like, no, like, I remember it vividly as a child. And this is before I had knowledge of like. You know, I didn't I didn't even see E.T. before my experiences. So E.T. terrified me as a child because I already had seen some strange extraterrestrial UFO things before I even was exposed to what they were. So they were just terrifying to me as a child. And then when my grandma was like, let's watch E.T., like I was terrified of that movie. I thought he was so ugly. And I was just like, oh, that's even uglier than the stuff I saw. Like, <laughs> I don't like this. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, experiences. There, there really is a gift. Like if you want to take uh, psychics, for example, the, you know, a lot mm. of psychics started uh, having the gift at a young age as you did. Yeah. And, and not even that. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, the, the percentages are very high. 
for children, uh, very young children, for experiencing paranormal phenomena, but it's brushed off a lot of the time because there's not a lot of, you know, um, once you're an adult, it's hard for you to comprehend a lot of this stuff. You're too busy paying bills and living life and doing all the stuff you're doing to really focus on that, right? Because it doesn't really impact your life. It doesn't have bearing. It doesn't make you money. So if it doesn't add to your life in some way, most people discount a lot of it. But children have imaginary friends that they have extreme details about that a small child most of the time. Um, and there were case studies done on this, that, that small children have imaginary friends with details that just don't make sense for how young these children are to have this much detail about their imaginary friends or stuff they experience or sometimes knowledge they have. I mean, one of the big things now, especially now with so much internet and social media going on is uh, parents are telling their stories of children um, saying things that are strange to them at such a young age. Like, Oh, I remember Tom, you know, and Tom was like, uh, you know, the grandfather who passed away before uh, the child was even born. But yet these children are talking about experiences with these family members who they never even met, at least while they were alive. So there's more and more case studies being done on these types of uh, events that happen to small children. So I, I think everybody has these abilities, but it's hard to, I think, maintain them and keep them as you grow up because your your brain is filled with so much, uh, I would call it hogwash in a lot of, a lot of ways of what life is supposed to be and how you're supposed to be in life that you start to detach from, I think, a deeper connection of consciousness to the world around you. And it's not just on the spiritual plane. I think it's on the physical plane too. We're de detached from each other as human beings. And if we are spirits with inside this physical shell, then, you know, that's a detachment outside of the physical shell as well. Yeah. I, I had taken a course about that in college uh, where um, when you're a child, you have creativity and somehow, whatever, the world um, gets us to squash that creativity. And then when you're an adult, you just, like, you're in the matrix. You're, like you said, you're caught up paying bills. You, you're, you need junk reality TV shows to entertain you. You lost that natural yes. creativity. Yeah, yeah. And the drive, the drive to pursue those creative pursuits is one of the issues as well. I know when I was working at Disney and, you know, working all the time, I would be exhausted mentally, physically. I would come home and I'd want to work on music. I'd want to look for acting jobs, but I was just incapable. I needed to eat dinner, you know, maybe play a video game for a little bit with one of my buddies. So unwind, go to bed and do it all over again. And it was, I mean, I was severely depressed at times and just in a, in a bad place. And once I quit my job and really started pursuing this and, and taking the risk and saying, like, I don't care what happens. I need to be happy because I spent so much of my life catering to my abuser, my narcissistic grandmother. And then that transferred to every relationship in my life. And I couldn't be open and free because it was always I always had to keep pleasing other people. And finally, about three years ago, I said, no, I'm finally going to take charge of my own life and try to be happy. And I've been happy ever since. And I realized a paycheck doesn't bring you happiness. It really doesn't. You know, I, I live. I mean, luckily, I get a lot of work, so I'm getting paychecks from different areas because I'm doing so many different things. But but it's not steady. There's sometimes a week or two goes by where I'm not working. And I'm like, OK, got to figure this out. Got to get another job. Got to do this and that. And then eventually another job comes along. Uh, but but yeah, it's about taking a risk. And, uh, you know, you don't understand that when you're in a dark mindset, and you're busy working. You don't have the time to really pursue, you know, your creative side. But when you do uh, it, the way I like to describe it to people is fear has has two roads you can go down. Fear can make you complacent, do things you're unhappy with and just continue because you're scared of being homeless. You're scared of not having money. You're scared of not eating. You're scared of all that. 
but fear can be used to to Im- impact you positively and that's what i learned by taking a chance and quitting my day job and pursuing my dreams fear pushed me and motivated me to make sure i was working and make sure i'm hustling every day to get work to get things done and to do you know creative pursuits and so i i twisted fear and made it the fear work for me <laughs> instead of it working against me yeah i guess it's kind of like the wind you put the wind at your back rather than face the wind exactly but uh, i um i think i would i've been to disney world but i i, I remember um the entertainment crew at, at hershey park if you ever if you ever been there i have not been there i'm so i've heard of it definitely familiar with it but i haven't, haven't been there well they like like at disney world they they sing you know they uh you sit in the stadium and they they perform yes. for you and i, I the, the song i was 11 years old but the song still impacts me to this day the words were hershey park happy hershey park fun i remember that whole song nice. do you guys did you guys sing songs like that at disney world uh well i worked at disneyland not disney world but oh, okay. uh i mean luckily i didn't have to i, I wasn't in any necessarily stage shows there although i was trying to break into that um area but it's difficult it's difficult there's so many gatekeepers at disney it's a different world even than hollywood inside of disneyland entertainment i was able to go to entertainment and i worked with the characters i had to learn scripts for certain characters and storytell which is no problem for me i'm a storyteller but yeah i never broke into actually performing so yeah i didn't have to do any songs although i say one of the most creative things i did and it's about right before i quit actually because i was doing giving so much and getting so little back from the company um i actually created a little rap uh when i would introduce mickey mouse before everybody went to go meet him and like everybody loved it and thought it was creative, although they never really, again, encouraged me or, you know, uh, gave me anything for it. But I just did it to break the monotony of the job. I was like, you know, I'm going to come up with something a little clever and just try something different to keep keep me from being bored out of my mind from doing the same thing all the time. Uh, so that's as far as I went. Uh, besides that, nah, not, not really. Thankfully, I didn't have to sing or anything like that. Like if I had to, they would have had to pay me well because <laughs> they didn't pay very well for the stuff I did do. <laughs> Well, it's not easy to build your voice up, really. Like these these vocalists are always training all the time, you know. No, no, they definitely are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm I'm not really too much into singing as as much as I used to be when I was younger. Um, I'm more into the rap thing, but I do sing occasionally on my music, and nobody's ever complained about my voice, so I know I'm not bad at it. <laughs> but yeah, you, um, I you have a whole market out there because you you speak Italian. You you could start rapping in Italian, doing comedy in Italian, acting in Italian. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Uh, one of the acting jobs I booked uh, this week for a TV show. I can't say much about it. Obviously, I'm under uh, NDA non disclosure agreement right now for the show. But uh, yeah, I'm playing uh, like an Italian bodyguard for this TV show. So um, you know, it's going to be fun. It's pretty cool. I'm shooting uh, Thursday for that show. So. Nice. So, oh, I, I, oh, I liked the video where you you played. I don't know where you this. Uh, uh, I can't. Exp- I don't know mafioso where you showing you how to make the dough and you punch the dough. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a short film I did. We won. Uh, <laughs> we won best cast in the Rome Film Festival. So that was that was nice. I got an award for that. Yeah, that was all improv too. The director said just come up with something. So. I just came came up with that off the top when we were shooting the film. <laughs> yeah, you remind me of uh, of Steve Stevie Van Zant from The Sopranos with the facial expressions. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I definitely got in the character. I, I definitely have been called by many people through my acting career as a character actor, so that makes sense. <laughs> no, you are you are good. You're good about that. And um, you know, getting back to um, you know your grandmother's house. Um, like when I was a little kid in my grandmother's house. 
I had this imaginary friend in the vent, and his name was Pami, P A M I. And then, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, like 10, 12, 13 years later, my, my nephew and niece were, were visiting my grandmother, and they had, they had an imaginary friend named Pamus. Mm. I'm wondering, maybe there's someone who lives in a vent named Pami or Pamus. Maybe this, this imaginary person is real. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Like I said, they've done a lot of case studies and they found that uh, some imaginary friends uh, aren't so imaginary. Um, I know um, the two I'm thinking off the top of my head because they were really like impactful stories in this book I read of some case studies. Um, There was a young boy that lived in his house and he had a little friend, another little boy in the house. and, And the mom asked him to describe it. And the boy actually drew this little boy and... He described Victorian style clothing, the way he talked, the way he looked. And um, they found out that the little boy had died in that house that they lived in. And they found a picture of the little boy and it was exactly how their son described it. So, I mean, stuff like that uh, does happen and they do document that. So it's uh, it's very possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've um, you've heard of the Amityville Horror. Of course. Yeah. It's one of my, one of more famous cases, I think. Uh uh, not just in the United States, but across the world, people are familiar with that one. Oh, for years, people were going to that that house just to visit, just to see it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I think they might have torn it down. I don't think it's there anymore. Yeah, I don't think so either. I believe I remember hearing it because of all the people trying to get in there and come by that they just tore it down and built a new one. Uh, that happens uh, sometimes, often depending on the the property and how infamous, famous, or infamous it is. Uh, they'll just tear it down because they don't want people, you know. Uh, coming in there if they build it new maybe it'll throw people off the scent who knows (laughs) yeah once something is public uh everybody comes there so that the privacy Mm -hmm. issue becomes an issue and then uh another thing comes to my mind is uh uh, the movie uh the shining oh yeah that's classic and then based on yeah that's uh there's a lot of uh, actually you know connected uh connected real history to that that story so really <laughs> that's pretty cool I, oh, I didn't, really there is I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, wow yeah the um when he was writing the script for that movie he uh wrote it in and I, i'm trying to remember the name of the hotel uh but he wrote it in a haunted hotel and he stayed in a haunted room and that's what kind of inspired uh a lot of the story because you know that that hotel that he wrote the script in was very haunted so um it said that that's where a lot of the ideas came from was that haunted hotel he stayed in. Wow, it's so a famous really... hotel. I'm forgetting the name right now. I apologize. I don't remember off the top of my head. Is it, but... is it California? <laughs> uh, it's not. It's in a different state. Let me actually, you know what? Let me look it up. Give me a second. Let me see. Uh-huh. Uh, just because I want to be correct. I know some of the uh, paranormal shows. Um, there you go. Uh, the Stanley Hotel. Yeah, okay. that's it's in Colorado. Okay. Yeah, it's that's that's what The Shining was based on. Uh, I knew I knew it was a name like that. I was like I'm trying to remember. There you go, the Stanley Hotel. Yeah, a lot of paranormal shows have been there. It's famous for being haunted. So. And do they really have those bushes there, like in the movie where uh, he's chasing the wife in the snow and the bushes? Uh, you know, I don't know if they have a hedge maze in uh, at that hotel in particular. I'd have to look it. I don't think they do though. I, I don't believe so. If my if my memory serves me correct, I don't think it does. <laughs> and that was classical, those imaginary conversations he was having and imaginary yes. characters. I I'm still amazed by it to this day, to tell you the truth. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it really was a, uh, a powerful, uh, powerful movie as far as uh, horror goes and, and creepiness factor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, anything you want to share? I mean, uh, I guess the biggest thing right now, if uh, if I didn't mention it to you beforehand, I just released a paranormal rap album. So I combined two of my passions and uh, it's on every major platform. It's called Paranormal, but it's spelled uh, P-A-R-A-K-N-O-W-R-M-U-L. Uh, it's on every major platform. Uh, I have a lot of Ghostbusters references in the songs. Uh, it's, it's kind of an accumulation of my personal experiences and knowledge of the paranormal. And also, um, you know, other from clients and people I've dealt with, it's kind of, you know, all those ideas put together on this album to really paint a picture of uh, what the paranormal is. You know, I have a couple songs about UFOs. Most of it's about ghosts and and other phenomenon like that. So, uh, yeah, but uh, it's it's getting a lot of traction right now. Everybody's liking it. Uh, There's some songs that have more of a modern rap feel to it, uh, but you can actually hear my words. I don't mumble or anything like that. I'm, I'm a storyteller, as I said, so I like to have my message very clear in my music. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the biggest thing right now, other than uh, you know working all these acting jobs. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, and I, I think you also uh, I, I read somewhere that you, you did rap as Mickey Mouse, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, when I was at one of my low points when I was working Disney, uh, you know, I Thankfully, whenever I'm in a dark space, I tend to get creative, you know, constructive rather than destructive, as I say. Uh, so I wrote a whole album about what it was really like working at Disney and how the company really runs. And on one of the tracks, I kind of create, created this idea of, you know, if I could personify Disney in any way, you know, what would it be? And I'm like, it would be Mickey Mouse rapping over like a gangster beat, you know, about how much money he has and how he controls everything. So I ended up using a, a, an old Dr. Dre beat from uh, Chronic 2001, uh, the What's the Difference beat, and I rapped his Mickey Mouse over it. And I ended up using that, even though it was on the album, and it was like a, probably like a minute, I think, about a minute. Um, I ended up using that as my closer for my stand-up comedy act, and I would just shut the comedy clubs down. Like, nobody expected it, you know? I just I, At the end, I'm like, you know what? I've had to personify Disney in any way. And then I just start rapping like Mickey Mouse, and the place would go nuts. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. No, that's nice. It's, it, it, it's good to switch it up and do the imitations. And also with comedy, uh, you can apply your storytelling skills, too, for your stand-up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think that's why, another reason why I'm good at comedy as well is because I know how to storytell it. It feels natural. It feels like I'm telling you about my life and me. And it really is, to be honest. Most of my content is observational, either from my life or from what I see in the world and kind of how I interpret it. And a lot of comedians are obviously like that. Some of my biggest inspirations are like George Carlin and Bill Hicks. I definitely have geared more towards being somewhat political and controversial with, with uh, big topics like that because – uh, it obviously affects everybody. So I feel like, you know, twisting it and making fun of it uh, just kind of creates a more positive spin on it because I think it is really negative to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so, uh, oh, I wanted to ask you, are, are you um, are you in an actor's union or you're, you're a freelancer? Um, I'm non-union. I am SAG eligible. Um, I, I worked on the movie Ford versus Ferrari for two months. Um, and I did a scene with John Bernthal in that film. Uh, I got all my SAG vouchers, so I'm able to join the union, but I've stayed non-union because I'm getting so much work and I don't want to limit myself because even though I do tend to get sometimes the Italian roles due to my name and my look, um, I'm not typecast really. I, I, I'm all over the spectrum as far as like my acting roles go, which is great because it allows me to be more diverse than to be stuck as one, you know, stereotype. 
so um, it's something I'm probably going to do eventually. But right now, I'm just kind of enjoying the ride, getting as much work as I can. Uh, one of the strategies I'm using, which a lot of union people said it's smart, is I'm waiting to build my reel up very strong. So I have a lot of content because once you join the union, you're competing against the top actors in the field. And if you don't have a strong resume, you're not going to make an impact. So I'm really trying to build my resume. And, and when I join the union, I want to come in strong. I want to be able to have solid work. I don't want to just be competing against the biggest actors and not be able to hold my own weight. So that's one of the strategies I'm trying to use as far as acting goes. Yeah, it also frees you up. Uh, another actor told me that when you when you joined the union, you could not accept non-union jobs. That is correct, exactly. So yeah, with all the other work you got, you know, you should have the most freedom so you can explore different paths. Yeah, that's what's great about it is, you know, there's no limits for, for what I want to do. I don't have to say no to things. And then when I audition for non-union projects, you know, it makes me more palatable to these bigger productions. I just had an audition for a movie on Saturday and um, I, I came dressed up as the character. So they were it was it was one of the best auditions I think I've ever had, to be honest. I blew them away as soon as I walked in wearing a leopard print suit um, and they were just like blown away by that. They asked me if I had experience, but I told them I, I worked on tons of movies, including Ford versus Ferrari. They were blown away again. Um, and they asked me if I was in the union. I said, no, they were very happy because, you know, they don't have to deal with fighting the union to try and get me in the film if they end up selecting me for the role. So, uh, yeah, it definitely, definitely helps. Uh, and and I, I'm just happy doing what I love. I don't really care about the tons of money or all this other stuff. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to live my passion. And to me as an artist, the art is more important than the money in my, in my opinion, in my eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, it's, uh, I, I had to look up the name of an actor because there's an actor who you remind me a little bit, except uh, your nose is not as big as his. Uh, his name is uh, oh. a Adrian Brody. Oh yeah. 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 Definitely. I've, you remind me of him what? a little. That's cool. Yeah. No, thanks. That's a compliment. Definitely. You know, what's funny about me is too, I really not only I think my look is definitely ethnically ambiguous, even though technically, you know, I get I get cast for Italian stuff often. That's because I throw in that I speak Italian. I have certain pics that look a little more, a little more Italian, some of my headshots and stuff. But um, but most of the time I'm pegged as ethnically ambiguous. I've played Puerto Rican guys. I've played Mexican guys. I've played Middle Eastern guys like I've had variety in some of the roles I've played. Uh, but I've also been compared and said I looked like a lot of different actors. I mean, Adrian Brody's one of them. I've heard that before. And I've heard other ones, too. So I kind of like that you can't peg me down. And that's yeah. been kind of um, consistent over my career in every field is people will tell me I remind them of certain people. But then they'll say, but like you stand out because you kind of do your own thing. Even in rap music, I have a lot of influences, obviously. But I feel like I really have created my own path and my own style. And so people are like, yeah, you kind of sound like so-and-so, but you, you don't. You like you have your own thing. So I, I, I kind of like that. I think it's good to break the mold and not do what everybody else is doing. That's how you make yourself stand out. And I think create a niche market for yourself and, and you know, move further. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, like they say, um, like in comedy, for example, don't wait for the gatekeepers uh, to put you on stage. Produce your own shows outside of the club. Yes, Definitely. So that's what you're doing. You're, you're producing your own. And oh, getting back to, to being a DJ, um, this is a sad story, but a friend of mine was a, a DJ back in the day, you know, when they carried the, the records. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> he didn't have a car, so he was pushing them in a shopping cart. And I guess he was going like across the street, pushing the shopping cart full of the records. And he got he got plowed down, plowed down by a hit and run driver. Oh, 
Oh man, that's awful. I'm very sorry to hear that. That's terrible. Yeah, I used to I used to help with some of my DJ friends like when on my younger days, and yeah, that, when they used to carry all the records and stuff, I'd help them carry the crates in. So I have a little experience with that too. I'm old school, <laughs> but it's way better being digital. I just carry a little drive with me, have all my music on there, hook it up to my laptop, and I'm ready to go. So that's definitely a lot easier. <laughs> oh, it's so much easier today, really. This, this uh, records have become obsolete. I mean, they're actually they're they're having a resurgence right now. A lot of artists are selling records in limited quantities, and people are buying them up. So they're they're definitely not as they're more like collectors items now, and something that people just want to have. But they're definitely not used mainstream like they they were back in the day. But they're 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 seeing a resurgence. I'm definitely seeing a lot of people buy records now. So. Yeah, I guess I, I just I, I find that I, I learn a lot more about music by listening to Pandora uh, than I would, you know, uh, whatever, going to a record store. Oh, no, for sure. No, especially all the streaming, Spotify, all the streaming services have taken over. You know, technology changes the game and that's what's going on. Technology just is how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Well, anyway, um, if you, unless you have anything else to say, um, I, I do want to I want to thank you for all your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, if you want to check me out, mcpierre.com, the letter M, the letter C, P I E R E.com has all my music and other info on there and all my social media and stuff. So I'll just plug that really quick. <laughs> yeah, no problem, man. Uh, just what my advice is, is keep being serious, but don't be so serious. <laughs> have oh, fun. No, I'm, I'm a big kid at heart. So that's the beauty of um, me enjoying life because I'm a big kid at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just keep uh, enjoying, keep that childhood curiosity going, that creativity. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you'll do. I know you'll do fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. No problem. Take, have a good day. You too. Bye.